Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco, Chris Brame, along with you. It is the Crossover Podcast on 960theref.com, episode 9. And we've got plenty to get to on this episode. We'll talk a little Braves and uh, Freddie Freeman's potential move to third base. Uh, we'll also talk about the Phil Steele coming out and uh, his projections for the SEC and the rest of the country this year. Probably not going to make Georgia fans too happy uh, with what he sees out of the dogs, although he does have them as a potential surprise. So we'll get to that. But we are going to start off today's episode with Dwight Howard, who, after only one season with the Atlanta Hawks, has been traded to the Charlotte Hornets for one of the seemingly limitless or infinite amount of Plumley brothers that are out there in the NBA, uh, as well as uh, Marco Bellinelli. And they basically swapped second-round picks. The Hawks will now pick at 41 as opposed to 31. They sent that 31st pick, the first pick in the second round, to the Charlotte Hornets. So overall, Brain, what were your impressions on the trade of Dwight Howard? I like it because I feel like combined with that and the fact that Paul Millsap seems likely to not be coming back is Atlanta's finally accepted the reality in the NBA that if you've got any chance of being great – if you've got any chance of being that team to put yourself in position to be next in line in the Eastern Conference once LeBron either leaves again or just finally comes out of his prime, you just have to be bad. And you got to sum up, you got to get in the lottery and you got to hope you get lucky. And without Howard now, with Millsap gone, um, Miles Plumley's their big man. He averaged two and a half points a game next se- last season. I mean, I feel like I mean the over under for Atlanta is I mean thirty wins tops next season. Oh yeah, and I think that might even be high just because you are going to let Millsap walk, and it could be in a sign and trade scenario because that way Millsap's going to get the deal that he wants to get that max deal. And I saw uh, Chris Vivlamore of the AJC who covers the Hawks for them said that under the current or the the salary cap for next season. Millsap's deal could stretch to over $200 million if he signed with the Hawks. It's much less than that, obviously, if he signed with someone else because the Hawks can give him that extra year. But that's ridiculous. So if they did a sign-in trade with a team and they signed him to that full max of like $200-plus dollars more power to you if you like Paul Millsap that much, but that number is just way too much for Atlanta to do. And like you said, if you want to hit the reset button, you don't want Paul Millsap on your team. No, and Millsap's an all-star, but he's not that signature player that you know you absolutely have to have to win a title. He'll be a good piece. Like, if he does go to Houston and you add him to that mix already. Great second piece. He will not win you a title as the number one. Right. I mean, it's similar to what Joe Johnson was when right. he was a Hawk for all those years, too. So, it's like, I mean, the, the, the Hawks just keep repeating the 
same cycle over and over and over again. And I mean, it's an unfortunate reality, but the but it is. That's the the NBA in a nutshell. Now is if you want to have any chance of being great, if you're not a franchise that's got the ability to attract a big ticket free agent, and Atlanta isn't one of those. You've just got to strike gold in the uh, the lottery. And, you know, truthfully, for as much was made about super teams, super teams, super teams with this last NBA Finals because Durant joined up with Golden State, Golden State was still a team where their core had two lottery picks and mm-hmm. Thompson and Curry. Mm-hmm. Okay, Draymond Green was a great find in the second round. And then the Cavaliers, you got two number one overall picks. Tristan Thompson was a fifth overall pick. Kevin Love was a fifth overall pick, who they traded for a number one overall pick, Andrew Wiggins. So those teams, the core of those teams were still formed through the draft, through the lottery. That's where you've got to be, and it looks like Atlanta's taking a step finally in that uh, direction. Yeah, and and they're blowing it up here, and, and it's funny with the new GM, Travis Schlink, coming in and really wanting to make his mark on the franchise he probably went to ownership went to tony wrestler and was like look this roster ain't gonna win you anything so we're gonna have to blow it up hit the reset button here and one thing to think about too is that the hawks are renovating phillips arena so maybe they're trying to do kind of like what the braves are trying to do and, and be good for the new stadium and it's not a new stadium but it'll look a lot different so Maybe they want to be able to maximize on that and try and and get better then. Although you mentioned the Hawks haven't been able to get that big-time free agent to come to Atlanta. Don't tell that to Dwight Howard's sister, Tashonda, who is very upset with the city and the franchise. Uh, She said he was one of the first big free agents to come here, and I think a lot of the free agents are going to look at that and see how they do their free agency, and they are not going to want to come to this city. Let me bang a 30 real quick. First of all, the only reason Dwight Howard signed with the Hawks is because they're the only team that wanted him. No other team wanted him in free agency. Yeah, because he's not a big-ticket free agent anymore. No, he's not. So the Hawks, it worked out to where they were really the only team that were offering him any significant amount of money, so that's why he signed. Uh, Tashonda, uh, again, Dwight Howard's sister, also went on to say, I hear how people talk and the things they say, and I just don't think that Atlanta is a loyal city. I really don't. i got to bang another 30 here because – Dwight Howard had multiple opportunities to be loyal to his hometown before. He could have signed with Atlanta after he left Orlando in free agency because the Hawks were going after him then. He could have signed with Atlanta after uh, he left the Lakers and went to the Rockets in free agency, but he didn't, and Atlanta was going after him then. So don't give me that crap about being loyal. If he wanted to be loyal to his hometown, they offered him contracts. They could have signed with him. Instead, he went other places. Yeah, when he was still an all-star. Exactly. Which he's not now. So don't give me that loyalty crap. I mean, he could have been loyal to his hometown and wasn't. Well, and talk about loyalty, too. The Hawks paid him in a three-year deal $70.5 million is what he agreed to. Nobody else was going to give him anything close to that. No, and so what did did Dwight do? He went out and averaged the fewest points he did in a season since his rookie year, 13.5 points. And now he's been talking about over the last, like, couple of weeks – Trying to work on his three-point shot. Yeah, no, 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 Now, was no, he no. saying that tongue-in-cheek? Was he just joking? I don't know, but uh, he did say it. And, uh, you know, which was just, it just to me, that played like a guy that really just wasn't taking things seriously enough. Although, if the Hawks are serious about tanking, they should have kept Dwight Howard and just let him jack up a bunch of threes. 
Good point. Yeah. You want to work on your three-point shot? Go ahead. Uh, Dwight Howard, you're going to play small forward for us this year. You're going to play on the wing. We don't want you down below the basket. I mean, like the funny thing about this trade is like if you really evaluate it in the short term, I mean, then Charlotte won the trade. They did. Because they got a better second-round pick, and they just traded a guy who's also, by the way, making a ridiculous amount of money in Miles Plumlee for averaging two and a half points per game. I mean, Howard might not be an all-star anymore, but I guess the potential for him to still be one again is there. But he's still making, what, like half of what Dwight Howard was scheduled to make? Oh, well, yeah, 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 for sure. So you're sure. shedding money. But the thing, but you know, the thing is, like, okay, maybe they, they won the trade. I mean, they're getting Dwight Howard for Miles Plumley and Marco Bellinelli, but, um, and I guess they're moving up like 15 spots in the second round or whatever it yeah. is, but, um, uh, but I mean, I, I don't think any Atlanta Hawks fan is really... Uh, angry about this no in fact uh i was one that was very happy because i wasn't on board with this signing in the first place it wasn't going to do anything to make you a contender it seemed more like anything when the deal went down and it's funny because i saw skip bayless tweeted yesterday that uh all three of the teams that dwight howard signed with in free agency the lakers hornet or uh, rockets and hawks expected him to help make them a championship contender i don't think so I think Atlanta signed him because they knew that they weren't going to be contending for a championship, and so they brought the hometown guy back because they figured that would help sell tickets. I don't think they were there were any illusions of grandeur thinking, hey, if we sign Dwight Howard, he's going to make us a title contender. At I, least agree. I, I hope not. I, well, I agree hmm. with you because they would have to have realized that they had a, a, a better player in Al Horford right. who ended up leaving for Boston. So, But what they were getting with Dwight Howard was still I, I mean, a more famous player. I mean, Dwight right. Howard still is a bigger name, still more well-known. And, yeah, I mean, I can remember. I mean, there was, there was some buzz and excitement last year when yeah. Atlanta did sign Dwight Howard. And, I mean, I don't know, maybe he moved the meter more than Al Horford did. But, man, he's not a better player anymore. No, Atlanta's getting worse. Certainly. So I think doing this now, Atlanta definitely looks better in the long term. And they brought in a guy in Travis Schlink who was kind of a part of that Warriors building and and building that dynasty there, or at least the beginnings of that, what we think will be a dynasty right now. So he was a part of that and he saw how to do it. So I have, you know, I don't know the guy from Adam, but I, I have faith that doing this is the right thing to do. Now, I know we're recording this uh, hours before the NBA draft, and many will be, uh, in fact, everyone will only be listening to it after the draft has already been taken place. Right. But since Schlenk was, albeit briefly, a grad assistant here for the Georgia basketball program, That's right. might the Hawks take J.J. Frazier oh, yeah. in the draft? Because <laughs> if you are going to tank, why not just take this sort of beloved – college hoop star from the state and uh you know let them snipe some three-pointers the hawks have the mr irrelevant equivalent in this draft they have the 60th pick which is the last pick in the second there round you go. you're not going to get anybody that's going to change your franchise with that pick so i agree take jj frazier and have fun with it i will say this and again we are recording this hours before the draft so this might not come to fruition but i have seen some mocks that have Bam Adebayo going around the time Atlanta would be picking, that would be a good pick. Where, at 19? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that'd be a great pick. Um, and, uh, you know, right now when you just look at uh, the fact that Atlanta has one center now, and it's Miles Plumley. Miles Plumley. That, um, yeah, I mean, Adebayo would be a nice little presence in the paint. No doubt. So we'll uh, pay attention to the draft and, and probably do a little recapping of it next week on the podcast, but – 
uh, we'll see what the Hawks end up doing. It'll be uh, interesting to pay attention to that uh, coming up tonight, again, Thursday, when we're recording this. Uh, we'll switch gears now to the Braves, and this is a good problem to have because Matt Adams has been hitting very well for the Braves, and he's on a tear the best of his career, it seems like, in terms of the run that he's been on right now. But he plays first base, and the Braves' best player, franchise player, Freddie Freeman, also plays first base. And Freddie Freeman reportedly is pretty gung-ho about trying to make the switch to third base and help the team out. My whole thing about this, and this is the term I've used for this sort of play that Matt Adams has been going with and, and this run that he's been on, it feels like a summer romance. You know, one of these things where everything is good, there's no problems in the relationship, then when the summer ends, you start to realize that you may have been a little head over heels and not necessarily thinking straight. And don't get caught up in the summer romance with Matt Adams. He's playing extremely well right now, but he's never going to supplant Freddie Freeman as you know the first baseman on this team, even if Freddie does move to third because that's a short-term move. Trade Matt Adams now while his stock is as high as it's ever going to be. I agree with you. That's what the Braves should do is uh, is take this and run. That they end up with uh, you know a diamond in the rough here. All of a sudden, they get this. St. Louis just gets rid of the guy because he's not done much for them, and he has come to Atlanta and he's had this resurgence. But um, yeah, I mean, I hate to think that basically Atlanta is probably looking at their themselves and kind of thinking that hey, we're a contender for something. Like, no, 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 no. I mean, I yeah, I think the move is to flip them. What is keeping Matt Adams on this team? Do? Are you going to make the playoffs if you keep Matt Adams on this team and keep him at first base and Freddie Freeman at third base? No. You don't have no. the pitching to do it. So that's the thing. It's like, yes, right now, that's why I think summer romance is such a great way to describe it because right now it's perfect. Right now it's good. But this team isn't going to make the playoffs. So keeping Matt Adams doesn't do anything for you. You can flip him. He will never have a higher stock than he has right now. So Probably he, not. I'm trying to see how old he is. Um. The highest home run total he's had in his career is 17 in a season. He's already got 11. <laughs> well, I know. And how, I mean, how, how many has he hit just in the... He's hit 10 with Atlanta. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like now all of a sudden you've got a, a piece to potentially trade there more of... I mean, unless you feel like... I mean, is that's why I'm trying to figure out how old he is. Like, if this is something that maybe where he's turned it on and it's long-term, you could have these, this corner of Freeman and Adams in your lineup if you're trying to uh, to build, but... I mean, Freeman's the signature piece of the uh, for the Braves, and I think he's got to be the first uh, baseman. I know Adams has played outfield, but you know who are you going to put put out there now? Markakis, Kemp. I mean, the one the one area where the Braves are below average. I mean, shortstop's one of them too, but Swanson's a rookie. I mean, and he's, he's playing much better though. Right? Um, is third base even with our Garcia? So you got I mean, Rio Ruiz and Adonis Garcia. Yeah, I mean, I get your thinking for this year, like well. You could have Freeman and Adams in the lineup, and then you're kind of upgrading the lineup all around. But, I mean, what's the point for this season? I mean, a month from now, again, we're still talking a month before Freeman comes back. The Braves aren't going to be, like, they're going to have sustained success without Freeman in the lineup. But even if you wanted to move Adams to the outfield, I mean, of the trio of Matt Kemp, Matt Adams, and Nick Markakis, right now, who has the highest value? It's still Matt Adams because he's on a tear right now. And it's because his contract is much more friendly to a team than Nick Markakis's or Matt Kemp's. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. 
I think Atlanta, he, they've got a potential trade piece to a contender. I mean, again, that that's provided he maintains this because we're, we're, again, we're still a month out from Freeman coming back. And uh, so Adams is on this tear right now, but we could sit here through all of July and realize that, okay, that was just an anomaly, what he was doing in June. He just got hot, and he, um, and, uh, and he ran with it. But by the end of July, when Freeman's due back, man, the guy might uh, still be sitting on like 11 or 12 home runs, and that's it. Well, I respect the heck out of Freddie Freeman for offering this, and he even said that he reached out to Chipper Jones, who also made a position change from third base to left field for a few uh was that for just for like one season it ended up being yeah one season when Vinny Castilla right came um I, you know when we've there have been guys I mean Albert Pujols comes to mind who played third and first I can't think of anyone that went from first to third there's been plenty of guys that do the third from first mm-hmm. transition mm-hmm. in their careers but going the other way I mean this is kind of unique in fact Shipper the Braves toyed with moving Chipper to first base. Right. Going from third to first as his career was going on, and he just stayed there at third base. But that that seems to be the move that gets made, but uh, not the other way around. But it's good that Freddie's reaching out to Chipper. You know, he has a ton of respect for Chipper. Chipper saved him on an ATV during the snowpocalypse. Yeah, he was stuck on the interstate. <laughs> they even made a bobblehead <laughs> out of that. But uh, it's just Chipper told him that, you know, this is going to be a very tough move if you do it. But I think that sort of that reverence that Freddie Freeman has for Chipper Jones might kind of be playing in here. And he's like, well, Chipper made the move and helped the team out. So, you know, I should be one that's willing to do that. And I respect Freddie for being willing to do it. But again, it just to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you're trying to placate Matt Adams for what? The rest of the season, a season you're not going to make the playoffs anyway. And where maybe losing some games and getting a higher position in the draft especially with a guy like Seth Beer in the draft that I think a lot of, you know, the Braves have kind of been happy about drafting locally and getting, I mean, you get a guy out of Clemson who seems to be a surefire prospect, or, and that's just one name. I mean, there's plenty of other names, but, I mean, positioning yourself higher in the draft can't hurt. And so by winning games and having, like, say, a close to 500 record or whatever, if it doesn't get you into the playoffs, then why are you doing it? Yeah, no, I I like it, too, that Freeman's the leader of the team and he's the one that's willing to make a commitment. You know, it's the opposite of Derek Jeter, who, uh, even as his skills as a shortstop diminished, refused to ever move from shortstop. Right. You know, Robin Yount moved from shortstop to center field, but uh, but Jeter just stayed at shortstop. He was going to be there, even when, by the end of his career, he had zero range. He could field a ball, hit right to him, and that was about it. But Well, some people would say that... Alex Rodriguez was the better shortstop when he went to New York. Some people, Sam, all people should say that because oh, he was. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, the better defensive shortstop, and instead he had to move to third right. to, you know, of course, because, you know, the king of New York, Derek Jeter, wasn't going to move. Right. But A Rod was the better shortstop, and the Yankees would have been better off with him playing shortstop and maybe moving Jeter to center field or someplace else. But no. Jeter, Jeter couldn't do that, but here's Freeman. He's willing to take the hit. When I say, make Matt Adams play third base. <laughs> I think defensively, that might be more of a liability than having Freddie out there. But I like, uh, but you know, I do. It's a, it's a good problem for the Braves to have because, I mean, listen, I mean, maybe the best case is that this guy Adams does just kind of maintain something like this level that he's on now. And all of a sudden the Braves have got a, uh, the Braves have got a steal and they've solved a couple of weaknesses in their uh in their lineup and I mean if you can have figure out a way to put both of them in there that'd be great short of just moving to the American League that's the thing if the Braves were close right now then I would be singing a completely different tune I'd be like you have to do whatever you can to keep Matt Adams in the lineup 
but they're not close. They're, they're, they're still, regardless of if Matt Adams on the team or not, they still have way too many issues with the starting rotation for me to think that they can make the playoffs. So again, you want to capitalize and get what you can for a guy like Matt Adams now, because I've said this multiple times now, his stock's never going to be. High. No, Adams is only 28. He'll be 29 in August. So he is still a young guy that, I mean, I guess Atlanta's got the thought where, um, you know, maybe we could try and keep him around for a couple of years too, if he's going to be a thumper like this. But yeah, I kind of feel like I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into this sudden hot month and uh, assume that there could be a bit of a downturn next month and you're still a long way from Freeman coming back and that, yeah, right now, you know, maybe the, uh, the best option would be to, to see if there's anyone out there that wants him. This streak from Matt Adams seems to be the exception to the rule, though, because he's never been this good. No, I know. From, yeah. from the time he got to Atlanta till now, this is the best stretch of his career. Yeah. And that's why I would say go ahead and strike while the iron's hot and get what you can for an asset that is uh, proven to be a very good one for Atlanta. Uh, we'll uh, shift gears one more time here on the crossover podcast, 960theref.com, Sam Franco and Chris Brame. One of our favorite things ever, the Phil Steele college football preview is out. I got mine the other day, and it was like uh, Santa Claus thought I was such a good boy that he brought me an early Christmas present, six months early. Sam, I downloaded mine digitally. See, I, I gotta have the I gotta have the paper, man. I, I just I just love holding it in my hand. I mean, you can listen to that. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I was I wanted it faster than it was available to me. That's true. Yeah. And, but that's and it was actually I mean, cheaper. It was only nine ninety nine if you download. It. That's right. If you get the book, it's more expensive. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I, we both have access to the Phil Steele now. And if you are a Georgia fan, I don't think you're going to be too happy with Mr. Steele this year for two reasons. One, he has them ranked 22nd in the pre in his preseason rankings, which isn't terrible. I mean, it sounds about right to me, although I would probably have them in, in a little higher, maybe the, the, the late teens. But he has Notre Dame ahead of, uh, of Georgia, which is a, a little bit of a head-scratcher. I don't necessarily think that the Irish are going to be that much of an improved team from last year. But the big thing that will probably tick a lot of Georgia fans off is the fact that he has Florida winning the East over Georgia, even though we don't really know who Florida's quarterback is going to be right now. I, I like it. It makes me happy because, one, the, the I, I don't like these teams that are – and Georgia seem to be to, to be in that spotlight in the offseason, the ones that are projected to, uh, uh, to win the East. Because Steele has liked Georgia the last couple of years, and how's that worked out? Florida's been the team that's won it, so I like that he's finally surrendered to that fact, and now he is going to just pick the Gators to win, and maybe the Dogs are the team that – is looking up at Florida and the division, and um, and they could be the surprise. Yeah, he also calls Florida his number one surprise team, which is, I guess, to call Florida a surprise team would be is is an interesting thought there, considering they have won the Eastern Division the last two years and have appeared in the SEC championship game. But I have no problem with Georgia being, you know, underrated to some degree by uh, by some of these preseason publications because after that, uh, after the Liberty Bowl against uh, TCU. That was the bowl game Georgia was in, right? The Liberty Bowl? That's correct. Uh, thanks. The uh, I mean, it felt like from that moment on, Chubb and Michelle had decided to come back, and Georgia was, boom, they were the favorite to win the SEC East, and I'd prefer Georgia not to be in that position. Yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from here. I, I think a, a lot of fans don't read into that stuff. They just want 
Georgia to be picked to win everything. You know what I mean? They want Georgia to have all the hype. They want to hear what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Well, a lot of people think that Notre Dame gets kind of ranked highly in these preseason magazines or whatever because it'll help people sell magazines to have the Irish ranked that high. So there might be a little something to that. But again, we've seen what Georgia has done before with too much hype going into a season. Looking back at 2008, for example, it didn't really work out in the dogs' favor. Well, even the last... Uh, I guess not last year because Tennessee was the favorite, but uh, two years ago, Georgia and uh, Florida still ended up winning the division. I know the dogs got wrecked by injuries in 2013, but that was another year. Those years Missouri went to the yes. SEC championship game in consecutive seasons. So there's been, you know, Georgia's had its uh, had its moments where they've been the, the preseason darling in the East and haven't lived up to it. A couple of uh, things that will shock you about the Phil Steele this year. Uh, he has Alabama winning the national championship. Stunned. <laughs> he has uh, the teams that he has going are Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, and um, the other teams escaping me right now. I'll have it here in a second, but it's a thing. I mean, a, a lot of the stuff isn't going to shock you just because Alabama, yeah, they're the best team in the country, and that should surprise nobody. And Ohio State's going to be really good. Florida State looks like they are going to be a very, very good football team this year. So that's the thing. I mean, the uh, the other team, USC, by yeah. the way. Uh, so he has uh, Bama, USC playing in the Sugar Bowl and Ohio State, Florida State playing in the Rose Bowl, and then Alabama beating Ohio State over in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz champion, or Stadium for the national championship. Uh, but that's the thing. I mean, Alabama, you're not surprising anyone by picking them to be number one. And I think, what did he say? They have top, what, two units on the defensive line, the linebacking core, and the secondary. Well, I believe when, yeah, when you go through his his individual unit rankings, the only unit Alabama has that's not top 10 is quarterback, but <laughs> it's the still the top unit in the SEC. Um, I think he's got the quarterbacks for Alabama ranked 15 or 16 or something. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, I've got those statistics up here uh, right now and yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous how many just incredible heights that Alabama reaches on all this yeah but I mean the offensive line defensive line the wide receiver with Ridley the running backs obviously uh linebackers even the secondary those guys are losing first rounders but that's that's what happens when you year after year after year sign what is uh, considered the number one ranked uh, signing class in the country it just it pays off big time I do think that uh and I've I've thought this before and I've been uh, a couple of times just with Alabama thrashing their opening week opponent, they've got the entire offseason to get uh, ready for them and you try to convince yourself that there might be certain vulnerabilities with them and they just go out and they uh, and they look as impressive as they will all season in that first game of the year. But, um, you know, they've got – their offensive coordinator now is a guy who a year ago was Rob Gronkowski's coach, okay? He was the tight ends coach for the New England Patriots. That's their offensive coordinator now. And that's a heck of a defense that they've got to square off with that first game of the season with Florida State that returns like eight or nine starters, including I, mean, I think the, the best defensive player and one of the maybe just best players, period, in the country this year, Derwin James, mm-hmm. in their secondary. So um, I just they're, they're going to have their hands full given that you know their new offensive coordinator is, again, he was a tight ends coach in the NFL. To me, that's one where like you're saving that. Maybe you're getting a little cocky. You know, you've been able to you've lost offensive coordinators and you've been able to plug in new guys over and over and over again, but I don't know. This one feels a little bit different. 
yeah, as far no. as his experience goes. No, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, getting back to Georgia, uh, looking at uh, some of the statistics that he gives you for some of these games, uh, you know, Georgia beat App State 45-6 to in 2013. That was their only previous meeting. And now they're a 14-and-a-half-point favorite four years later. That's right. Uh, it's crazy to think that. But Georgia's 19-1 and since 1997 in Sanford Stadium openers, the only loss uh, being to uh, number 12 South Carolina back in 2011. So Georgia's pretty good at home opening the season. Yeah, I hope that by the time that game kicks off, I think um, you know we'll have sufficiently driven home the point that Appalachian State is a uh, is a solid quality opponent, and there'll be enough uh, attention paid to the fact that Appalachian State's a team that could come in here and pull an upset, and maybe it'll end up taking on the uh, the same shape that that 2005 Boise State game did when I mean Boise State came here that year and, and seemed to be kind of a chic pick that people thought they were going to come and uh, spring an upset on Georgia and really get that first signature victory for that program and uh, the dogs went out there and just hammered them and I hope uh, by the time that game kicks off September 2nd I'll have a similar feeling about Georgia's preparedness for that game and another statistic here on the uh, Notre Dame game Obviously, Georgia's only played them once, beat them in the Sugar Bowl to win the national championship in 1980. Technically, 1981 was when that game was played, first day of 1981. But Georgia is 3-5 and five in road openers uh, since 2009, but they've won the last two uh, against uh, Missouri last year and against Vanderbilt uh, the year before. I think the, the, the biggest number that potentially will apply to that game, and I think probably apply also to the game at Auburn later on in the uh in the year although maybe by the time they get to Auburn it'll be a moot point because Georgia win at Notre Dame but the fact is that the Georgia hadn't won a, a road game straight up as an underdog since 2009 and uh Georgia will likely be catching points against the Irish in week two and so that's a long time without Georgia winning a game when they've been an underdog on the road and I think Auburn's the other spot that that'll apply this year but like I said, maybe Georgia will beat Notre Dame in South Bend, and then that uh, that little note will be thrown out. And both teams have, you know, games that they need to worry about a little bit in week one. You know, Appalachian State for Georgia, Temple for Notre Dame. So uh, not just kind of skate by games there in week one. So the Phil Steele's out. I still have not come close to digesting all of it. I will uh, take plenty more time, uh, probably uh, uh, some this weekend, maybe sitting by the pool uh, getting my Phil Steele on, but uh, definitely happy that that's out. And that just means that football is that much closer. When you listen to this uh, podcast when we release it, it'll be 71 days until kickoff, but 199 days from the end of the college football season. So uh, it flies by, it really does, but we are uh, super pumped, getting really excited for Georgia and Appalachian State. And then uh, one of the uh, most marquee road trips I think Georgia football has ever had uh, going up to South Bend. Yeah, I could. I was a little disappointed. You know, uh, a couple of days ago, I I tweeted at nine sixty the ref a picture of uh, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. I saw this, and uh, you know, people said, were confused by it. Yeah, so there are less than two hundred and seventy one days until kickoff, which would be the jersey. You know, twenty seven and one. And people, do you mean seventy one? What do you mean? What it's do like you? It talk- was a joke, right? And I mean, <laughs> the, yes, seventy one would be less than two hundred and seventy one. <laughs> but yes, I was more mocking the practice of finding a player's jersey number oh, to gosh. announce yeah. how many days there are until kickoff. Uh, but today when we're recording this is 72 days, and uh, actually... Uh, Who wears that? I have no idea. Well, tomorrow on the morning show, uh, again, it'll be, I guess, today when you listen to this, um, but since we're recording this Thursday, so tomorrow, which is what, June 23rd, 
we'll, we'll have a, a former number 72 for Georgia, George Foster, uh, joining us on the morning show. Uh, so uh, you'll be able to catch that on 960theref.com in the uh, on-demand portion, just like you can catch every episode of this podcast, the crossover, 960theref.com. That'll wrap us up for this week. Any uh, parting shots, any closing thoughts? Um, looking forward to the Hawks tanking finally and getting yeah. a good lottery pick next year. I mean, like Arizona's got some seven-footer that's got ball handling skills. And he's going to be a freshman this upcoming season. So you're saying so. the next Kevin Durant, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Seven-footer. He's from, uh, he's, I guess he played high school in California. He's originally from the Bahamas. So basically, we want the Hawks to tank. And I, uh, <laughs> I came up with one the other day for uh, Seth Beer. I want the Braves to draft Seth Beer from Clemson. So veer for beer. That's like veer one. off the path. You know, right. veer for beer. Yeah. So we need to come up with whatever that kid's name is from Arizona. We'll figure out what his name is. And on next week's podcast, we'll have a nice rhyming uh, motto to give you for the Hawks. I'll work to on To tank that. to get him. For Chris Brame, I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. We'll be back next week, so check us out again on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame on 960theref.com. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.